Welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship. I'm John Hare, and you've found the place where we talk horses. On today's show, we have the owner of the Broken Arrow Ranch, Jeremy Dunn. Jeremy is a longtime horse trainer and a good friend of mine. Good morning, Jeremy. How are you doing this morning? Good. How are you, John? I'm doing good. Just so people know, we're right in the middle of the second week of January. California's hit with a pretty good rainstorm, which we're we're all happy about. We're getting some water for the upcoming year. And Jeremy, you're up on the Tejon Pass near, we call it the Grapevine here in California. Did you get a lot of rain over the last couple of days? Yeah, we did. We, we did. I believe it's almost almost two inches. Wow. I didn't check the gauge this morning, but I was excited to see it. But I had to meet a friend. So <laughs> Two inches doesn't sound a lot compared to other parts of the country. But two inches in California where our total rainfall may not exceed six inches, that's a, that's a pretty good dosing of rain all at one time. How, how are things at the ranch? Good. It's a money mess, but I'll take it. I'll take it all day long. I love it. <laughs> well, we're uh, here to talk a little bit about your skills as a horseman. And I would really like to talk about first is your experience. We met back in 2014 at the uh, Vaquero Heritage Trainers Challenge where the focus was on training feral or Mustang horses. And you were kind of experienced then, but eight years, nine years almost have passed. And how has your horsemanship evolved? I'm a lot older, so uh, <laughs> 10 years ago. Yeah, you know, I, I do have a little bit of a slower approach, quieter. Um, I'm not as young as I used to be. But in my in my opinion, it's a heck of a lot wiser and, and the horse's trust way much more so than they did before now i thought i had gold then but you know you evolve you get better and better and better you know it's like the old joke you know about the two bulls that are sitting up on top of a mountain and the young bull tells the old bull hey this let's run down there and talk to a couple of those cows and the old bull says, well, let's walk down there and talk to all of them. <laughs> As you get older, you begin to walk down the hill and, and be able to get everything done. Or, you know, I, I mean, I got a long ways to go, you know, but, you know, you, you get the gist of that. I do. Patience becomes a much more... A reasonable thing to do as the older that we get. You know, we realize we don't have to perhaps get everything done right now. But when I was learning from you, and I've been to a couple of your clinics, is you never really seem to be in that big of a hurry. Anyway, you you kind of practice the vaquero tradition, and that's what I that's what I really like about you is trying to figure out that horse. What are some of your insights in working with a horse in that way? You know, I, I believe that, you know, it's important to let them live in your world. I am not a horse trainer. You know, that's my profession, but that's not what I'm about. You know, they get to live in my world. There are things that are acceptable and things that aren't acceptable. But you, the important part of that is you let them find what is acceptable instead of trying to show them everything that is acceptable or make them do it. Therefore, it's not on their own terms. And it's, you know, it's the difference between um, when my son wants to clean his room, he does a darn good job. When he's told to clean his room, it's, it's half butted and not 
<laughs> not you know worth it on just as an example but right. you know and that's let them live in your world don't show them the answer let them find the answer give them hints but it's important that they find the happy place and what are some of the things that are most important for your horse to know when you're going through this process well trust is huge with trust i believe you could get anything done you know if you're if you're able to to point your horse in a direction and expect something and he knows that you are never going to put him in something that he can't do you, you know that's the most important part of the whole deal is what you earn you know in in the ways of how you teach or how you let them live in your world so to speak so trust is number one All right. so with trust you, you you have everything in your pocket you'll begin to get lightness. A horse is heavy because they're protecting themselves. Well, you give them something to protect themselves against. They have to protect themselves against. You know, so then you don't have a light horse because you've been nagging or asking too abruptly or not giving a chance. Another important thing that you, you know, you ask, you know, there's trust. A horse knows when you know. You're not making a big issue over their issues, but you notice their issues per se, if you're going to the left side and you see their head rise and you see a little bit of, of cautious in their mind, you know, oh, what is he doing? Horse knows when you know, if you slow down, stop and work on that, that area where they begin to get high headed in the first place, then you'll realize you're able to go, you know, from that point A to point B and C very quickly because they know when you know. Right. They, they they see that you see you know I, that's a another important deal. Don't make an issue. Oh, oh, fluffy. I'm sorry that you're scared. No, no, you're scared. I see you're scared. You, you don't talk about it. You you just kind of notice it. You fix that up and then move on. And that's something that's worked wonders. Right. You know, you're not babying the the trouble. You were acknowledging it, but move on. But move on. Let me go back to trust for just a second. I know that a good part of your horsemanship is starting horses, but a lot of people who listen to the podcast, they've maybe they, they did not gain their horse's trust or they abused that horse's trust or somebody abused that horse's trust in the beginning. Is there a way you can earn that trust back? Our horse's open to that yeah. and you know and how long does that take and what's the best way to approach something like that well every horse varies and it, it depends on you know um, what happened how it happened a horse is um the way he thinks it, does he want to trust in the first place you, you know that that will determine how long but by all means yes yes there are some horses that you know well, most horses you can earn their trust you know, again, there's a big old wavelength of, of situations. Some horses are, are very um, uh, not trusting in the first place. And then that's a place where you may have to ask yourself, is he worth the time and the money? There's <laughs> so many good horses out there, you know, I mean, and, and that's, you know, that's a reality. I do not have time to babysit a horse for 10 years until he's good. You, you know, a horse came in at, at five years old and and it's going to take about 10 years to get this done to where he, I could go out and I could 
tie a, a calf down outside and I could trust him to do that, you know, because he doesn't trust me in the first place. So it's going to take time to get there. But um, I have a two-year-old also. He's more than happy. He trusts anything I say, you know, so that is a line. So there is a, a give and take as far as what you're you're asking. Are there some horses that won't comply to to trusting once again? Well, I, I believe they will. I believe it takes a whole lot of time, though, right. on some of them. That's um, one of the things I've learned over my short experience working with horses is that how important that trust is from the very beginning. A lot of times when we when we get a new horse, don't think a lot of recreational horse owners realize how important that not only trust, but but trust from a respect, not trust from I'm going to be your buddy and be your friend. And there's a little bit of I see in the recreational horse owner of trying to gain that trust through being a pal. And just like you were talking about with your son, he, you can be friends, but I mean, there's got to be that mutual respect in order to earn that trust. Am I going down the right road there? Yes, sir. You have to draw a line. There is a line in the sand that is unseen, but it's very well known. You know, this is acceptable in my world, but this is not. Bad behavior, disrespect is not acceptable, but it's not acceptable from the horse, nor is it acceptable from me. You know, that's a line that's in the sand that we that neither of us need to cross or can cross. Right. You know, and, and that's a mutual respect that we, you know, a horse, any type of partner in, in that area should have that same deal, you know. Yeah, we're kind of here to talk about an upcoming clinic that you're doing at the uh, Flores Ranch in Acton. Uh, this is a one-day clinic that's coming up on in uh, March, March 11th. Just so the audience knows, I've been to a number of your clinics and I've always had a good time. I found you to be a very valuable teacher. I always walk away with more than just a few nuggets of, of wisdom and things to practice with my horse. Can you tell us about what you expect from this clinic in March? Well, I always start with, with a little bit of groundwork. And it answers the questions that you asked before, you know, as far as trust and, and things like that. It shows what I'm talking about when I'm t saying, you know, I want them to live in my world. Going back to what you said, that it was pretty important, you know, about, you know, trust and, you know, respect is, is um, you know, and a lot of horses have problems or, or you know, but you've got to let them find it. And when they begin to, to realize that they're able to find the pieces of the puzzle and place it in the, the hole that it belongs, there's a lot of confidence that gets built up that way. And where most of us have a problem is we, we are too controlling. We try to, to make everything happen. For instance, you may, and I'm not cutting anybody down, but this is, um, if you go to an English barn or, or any barn, or, you, you know, most of the time, nine times out of 10, when you see somebody pull their horse out, they're holding them by the chin. Well, your arm is only so long and you are manipulating every move they make. They don't have to see where their feet are. They don't have to um, know where you are because you're telling them the whole constant time. They never have to be on track. They're able to look, you know, with their eyeballs, their ears, everywhere else because you're, you're moving their feet for them. So they never have to 
participate in their life. You're doing everything for them. So in my clinics, I always start with the groundwork. You know, it's like having a partner. If you came to work with me and we're in my round pin, and I use this analogy all the time, I have like five gates in my round pin and they go to different pins. And mm-hmm. now if I said, John, open gate number number one. Well, you don't know what number one is, but if I turn and I look at it and use body language and have intent on what I want you to do as I like turn and say that that's gate number one, you know, you're able to, to follow it. Now you may try to go to number two, but instead of, of grabbing you and and taking you to number one, uh, I might say, no, John, number one's over there, or maybe even step into your space in the, you know, make it harder for you to go to gate number two instead of number one. And then they find it. Well, then you'll be able to start to follow direction. You you begin to read my body more so and read the small little things instead of, you know, me snapping a finger and pointing. You begin to start seeing where my eyeballs go or my body or, or, or how I'm thinking. Now, if you have that and if you're watching me do that, then where is your mind your mind's on me. We're we're partners now. Right. You're waiting for me for a direction. You're waiting, and and you're not gawking at the other horses in the pin. You're you're enthralled in what we're going to do next. You're curious because I'm going to say, "Hey, do this," and you're going to see if you can do it. You're going to try it. You're going to do it for me, for you, for because it feels good. That's how I start most of my clinics. Just simple, simple groundwork. Right, and that and the horse is engaged. Then, unlike the example where you said where somebody's holding the halter by the the clasp right up at the end of the lead rope, leading that horse's nose around, that horse isn't doesn't have to pay attention. But from what I understand, you're saying you're actually encouraging that horse to interact with you. Right. Well, and he's got a job himself. Everybody, horses, dogs people they need a job they need to be busy they they need to have consequences they need to have responsibility so if you give them you know half lead rope three feet four feet whatever that's theirs to take care of they need to know because i i am the leader you are the leader um when when you stop they need to stop you know if you're holding them by the chin well it's just a given but it's for them to find now, if they step all over your feet, well, they're in trouble. That's the line that you don't cross. Right. You need to know where I am. You need to respect my space at all times. And likewise, I need to respect the horse's space as well. But because I'm the parent, I'm the teacher, I do get to reprimand them, sometimes in a gentle way. Sometimes, depending on the level of respect, it may have to get pretty hard. Right. But it's always fair. Do you use groundwork before you ride every time, or is that a judgment call? Well, yes. I I don't always practice what I preach because life is life. But I, I do encourage, you know, to, to check them out. You, you know, do simple groundwork. It doesn't have to be 15 minutes. It doesn't have to be an hour. It could be three to five minutes, and you could see a lot about their brain. Right. You know, if if your horse is a basket case this morning, yesterday he wasn't, but today um you moved a different horse or a horse is somewhere else and he's concerned and worried about that. Well, you can bet your trail ride, your work is not going to be um a top hand material at that time because <laughs> his mind is somewhere else. Right. 
Right. So you may have to find a way to adjust it, you know, change the subject, give, give encouragement as far as giving them something to do that's different, um, engage their mind. You, you give them a different type of puzzle and they start, you know, placing the pieces where it needs to be. And you realize that they forget about the horse that you moved. Then you have a ride. On the other hand, you know, I, I, I will trust you rascal, you know, I think it's pretty limited, you know, sometimes uh, I need to jump on him and I, I use him a lot to work holes, you, you know, maybe if I'm roping feet or something like that. And a lot of the time I do it on the ground and not on horseback, but you know, sometimes there's a need to do it with the horse and mm-hmm. it's a heck of a lot easier on my body. Sometimes I'm right in the midst of that. I'll grab old trusty rascal and just jump right on him. And but you know he's got very he's got experience and a good work ethic. Kid, he knows the drill. He he knows the drill. And but it was a foundation that has got him there, though. You, right. you know he, he knows how to mind his p's and q's, and and he is a force, and he does get disrupted. But he also knows to look for puzzle pieces and different puzzles, and so that's why it's. I think it's important to do a little bit of groundwork all all the time, but in re- reality, there's times that it's not going to happen, you know, and so you're always working up to that. It's the same thing, you know, you, you teach your kids manners, and but you do have to turn them loose to go to school, to go to church, to go to different places on their own, and you trust that they know their P's and Q's. Right. Not always do they follow it. Sometimes they get in trouble, but they do know right from wrong. So you start your clinic off and you get everybody kind of lined out, showing them some groundwork exercises, and then then everybody saddles up. And what kind of things will you work on under saddle? Well, it's pretty much the, the same thing as far as groundwork, using body language. But it, it takes what you've done on the ground and puts it on the horse's back because what you're doing on the ground is a straight path to what you're doing on their back. The difference is, is you can see them and they can see you. The whole question is, can you feel them or can they feel you? You know, and, and because it's not, we're not face to face. Like I'm talking to you now, we're, we're side by side doing the same thing. Can you feel that? Because it's not about, directing them and showing them what to do. It's about feeling what you're feeling, feeling a direction. Because, you know, like, like I was saying before, you're working with me and, and I, tell you, I tell you with my mouth to go to, to gate number one. Now, as time goes by, I'm not even going to tell you anymore. I'm going to look up, make eye contact, make sure that you're with me. If I'm on the horse's back, I'm going to, I can feel if he's with me. And I'm merely going to look at gate number one. My shoulder turns left and my left shoulder is, is towards the left eye. My right shoulder opens like so on. It's a feeling type of feel. And, and that's what I'm looking for. And that's where not everybody has to be, you know, their goal has to be um, the Vaquero heritage. You know, they, they don't have to get into a spade bit or that's my goal because it's something that's very much earned. You know, it's playing classical music on a fiddle instead of Oh Susanna. You know, right. I mean... There's nothing wrong with Susanna, you know, but if you could put a little bit of a classical fill in it, you make that song so much. Wow, that's cool. Never knew Susanna could sound like that. What levels of horsemanship? I know that the clinics that I've experienced with you, you you kind of cater to 
whatever somebody needs. There's usually a, a small amount of people in the clinic, anywhere from eight to 12 or so. And you look at everybody's level and and get somebody doing something based on on what's available to their levels. Is there a, a particular level of horsemanship that uh, you're inviting to people to this March clinic? All classes. The, the beauty about, you know, you say you have level one through five, whatever. The thing of it is, even though you may be at five, level five, and, and you know, top, top hand, kindergarten was an important class for me, you know, and it's really nice to see that again. It's a, you, you know your ABCs pretty well, and you can say it with your eyes closed. But you will always pick up something different, maybe a different tune when you say ABCs, maybe a different, uh, I don't know, way to roll the elemental P. But there's always something you can learn from that. Right. Somebody that is hungry enough is not going to mind, you, you know, seeing those small levels. And, and if anything, they could see how they have grown. Yeah, and that is something to to look at in itself. You know that that puts a big badge, if you will. Um, gosh darn it! I remember doing that same thing, and now it's like clockwork. Where I I don't even do that anymore. It's it's you know like breathing. It's another feather that you are allowed to put in your hat, right. give you confidence to keep on growing, and it makes those big dreams not seem so far away. I, I can't tell you how many horsemen I've heard say that beginners want to learn what the intermediates know. Intermediates want to learn what the advanced horsemen want to know. And the advanced horsemen want to learn what the basics are again, because uh, they they know that everything kind of starts at the very bottom and builds up. That's what I appreciate about your clinics is I always seem to come away with some basic knowledge that I may have overlooked when I was going through some of the early days of horsemanship. I didn't know how important it was back then. And going to a clinic once or twice a year really helps reinforce those. Definitely. You know, another thing in my classes and in my clinics that, that I... And I, I talked about the ABCs, kindergarten. And when we when we were in kindergarten or whatever grade, you know, but how did we learn our ABCs with a song? Correct. Right. It was a rhythm A B C D E F G. Correct. Right. And so there's a rhythm. There's something to follow. A rhythm is very important to me as far as getting a horse engaged on the direction you're you're going or. Or the rhythm, or the the speed you're going. If you have a rhythm, now this rhythm goes off of their front feet or hind feet, depending on the level that you're at. But knowing where those feet are, and that is that begins to be your beat. But you're the DJ, and you play the music, and they get to dance to it. So they have to think about the the speed that the music that you're you're playing. You know, they have to dance to that. So if you're going making a left circle and you the left foot hits the ground, so it's one, two, one, two, one, meaning the left foot. So one, two, one, two. So I'm on, off, on, off, one, two, one, two, on, off. On. Now you'll find as you're doing it, when you first start, you, you are asking big in the beginning to show them, you know, your cues are a little bit louder you're helping them turn their head, but pretty soon you're able to retire that. Mm -hmm. And you're looking at the direction you're going. And it begins to be part of the song. 
A, B, C, D, and now one, two, three, four, which is a right, you know. Anyway, I mean, it's a hell of a lot easier to see that in the class, but that is something that I really work on because having that rhythm give is is so much easier for you to direct you know like a um a leader of a band compared right. to um turn left okay now go right. right okay and now do this now I'll stop and that's something i will do too when i stop it's one two three stop you know and i might not say that out loud but in my mind that's what i am saying because your body language is a huge thing before you walk to the kitchen to grab a cup of coffee, you get ready. And in your mind and in a way, you go one, two, three, okay, I'm getting up. Pretty soon when you are when you make that, you know, something's going to happen when I'm taking a breath in. I'm either going to talk or I'm going to stretch, one of the two. But their ears are perked and they're, you know, and listening to see which one it is. Anyway, that that is something that's pretty important that I found that that works really well is rhythm yeah yeah i i think the horses appreciate it we we le- we are learning dance and when the instructor just goes okay put your foot here one put your foot here two you you almost go through the motions like a robot but when he puts the music on and you have that rhythm to follow you, you get more into the flow of the dance and it's much easier to learn that way you bet. Becomes art and dignity. So yeah. uh, the clinic is March 11th, and it's in Acton, California, at the Flores Ranch. That's Johnny Flores Horsemanship. Uh, do you mind if I ask how you uh, how you met Johnny? He's a, he's a pretty good horseman. I've seen him at a, a number of shows and really appreciate the way he, he handles his horse. How did you connect with him? Well, through Facebook, to be honest, I've never shaken his hand yet. I've seen a lot of uh, pictures and videos and, and things like that, and he he looks pretty darn good. He, and but I've never I've never met him personally. So this March 11th will will be my first talking to him face to face. But I think that, that you know from what I've seen and and I think from what he's seen, I we're kind of on the same page and after the same thing. And I'm looking forward to meeting him. Yeah, he's. I uh, first met him, I think, when uh, I was trying to uh, dip my hoof into the extreme cowboy racing arena oh. with with Scratch. Who uh, he 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 had fun with that, but I don't think that was his particular skill. And then uh, I've seen him start. A, <laughs> I've seen him start a couple of uh, horses at the versatility ranch shows. So he's uh, he's, he's done well. Very cool. And I think he's had he's having a couple of different clinicians at his ranch throughout the year, so I'll put some links to his page, so people can check out the other clinics. And then I'll just give out the details for this, so people know about it. Again, it's March 11th. The information I have is from nine to four p.m. Two hundred and fifty dollars for you and your horse. If you like to just audit the clinic, it's forty dollars. It looks like there's lunch available for fifteen dollars. I probably would make sure and prearrange that. And he even has overnight stalls. So, where exactly is Acton for people who may be listening around other parts of the country and other parts of California? I believe it's about ten miles south from. 
Palmdale. It's between Palmdale and Los Angeles. That's so. still considered the high desert area, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it is. Very cool. Yeah. Jeremy, uh, was there anything else you wanted to add? Well, we covered a lot of good things. It, it's been really nice talking to you. Horses don't typically reply in, in voice, but <laughs> so it's nice talking to hear a voice. So. <laughs> <laughs> Miss visiting the Broken Arrow. There were some, we had some fun times up there with the different clinics that you provide. And you helped me with my horse scratch so much that I really appreciate that. I still ride him on a regular basis and he's doing pretty good. Very good. Very good. Good deal. That will do it for this episode. Thanks to Jeremy Dunn for spending time with us today. All the links heard in this episode, Jeremy's clinic, Facebook page, and the Flores Horsemanship website are at woepodcast.com. Check it out. One last thing. I met Jeremy in 2014, and the following year, he encouraged me to enter a Mustang Makeover event. Little did I realize how much the trajectory of my horsemanship career would change when I started my first horse at age 60. There were more than a few challenges, and Jeremy was always available to offer advice and suggestions. But just like he said in today's interview, He wanted me and my horse to find the answers on our own. I really appreciated that. As far as horseback riding goes, December and January are slow months for Renee and I. The holidays, family commitments, and the weather make getting out and riding a little tougher. Plus, this year we caught that creepy crud going around. We don't worry about it too much, especially as our horses get older. It gives them a little break. But as we look forward to better weather and more free time, a horsemanship clinic is a good way to start the year. I think it can set you on the right track. It's kind of a warm-up for both you and your horse. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Is there downtime with you and your horses? Do you go to clinics? Who are some of your favorite trainers? Let me know. My email is john at wopodcast.com or connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram under the name Woe Podcast. I'd love to hear your approach. Thanks again for listening and sharing the podcast with your friends and riding buddies. Until next time, for Renee, this is John Hare saying, go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody.